John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 527.ez1724, certificate number 1751, Ghost Forests. Uh, you and I were both on the Oregon coast last summer, John Yeah, we, we vacationed on the Oregon coast. In fact, one time, not that many years ago, we ran into each other on the Oregon coast and took our families on a wild adventure. I was like, kids, stay away from that weird old guy with the metal detector. <laughs> and then it was you. And then it was me. <laughs> no. You were like, that, that uh, chainsaw carved Sasquatch is strangely familiar looking. We were not vacationing together, but like, I think I came back and then that same week you left because you were going to go down 101 on a motorcycle like Tim Allen does in Wild Hogs. Yeah. Not at all like Tim Allen does in no, Wild Hogs. No, it's not Hogs. what you, didn't like Tim Allen and Morgan Freeman show up at your door and they were like, hey, John. No. No? No, it was a bunch of really cool dudes that build motorcycles and have like cool leather pants and stuff that oh. showed up at my house. And weren't they Euro guys? Some of them. Yeah. A couple of them were Euro. A couple of them were... I mean, some of them had European names, but they were really Americans. It was fake. <laughs> no, no, they just... He are, was Hank, but now he's Hans. They're just really clever. Uh, a lot of New York people, but the mountains, the coastal mountains of Oregon have wonderful logging roads that there's really no traffic on. And we had, we had a collection of uh, pretty cool, like big displacement Enduro bikes, so off-road, on-road, kind of multi-sport bikes. Enduro bikes. Yeah, so we would go, we went down the coast, but then we would head up into the mountains and find like these gravel logging roads kind of carved out of the side of, you know, really like cliff faces. Sure. And the other guys were good motorcyclists, so they were hauling around, spitting up dirt and chasing each other up these mountain roads. I am not a good motorcyclist. Are you like, guys, hey, guys, wait up. I did not. I did not. <laughs> I got some really good advice from, from friends of mine that are motorcycle racers, and they said, do not try to catch them. Let the good motorcycle people go ahead and have their fun, and you just ride your motorcycle at your pace. But what if they ditch you? No one wants to ditch me because I'm the fun, Ken. At the end of the night, you want me around the campfire. That's the, and that, that was my experience as a rugby player, too. Wait, 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 wait. 
as a rugby player? I was a terrible. First, first of all, are there even campfires in rugby? I don't know a no. lot about the sport, but <laughs> but at the end of a rugby tournament, they there, burn the other team. There's a second tournament, which is a beer drinking tournament. It's it's not a tournament of rugby with beer drinking. It's a tournament of beer drinking. Of beer drinking. I so see. the rugby teams, they, you know, they fight on the gridiron or whatever they call a rugby pitch. I thought you were an ex-player. Well, I am, but I was terrible at it. I was so bad at rugby. I just couldn't conceive of all of, I mean, the action is happening really fast. It's going in a lot of directions. Rugby is a fairly confusing game. Yes. All the and scrums. All the different scrums. And I was big and they liked me there as a second row what and era is this? You're in your... I was in my 20s, 20s, early 20s. They liked me there just as meat, basically. But the problem is if the ball ever, if I ever came into contact with the ball, I had no idea which direction to turn. I'd just grab it and just run until I was murdered. You're, um, you're basically the kid in right field just praying the ball does not come yeah, his way? Yeah. You know, we'd burst out of a scrum and I would start running and it was, it was like a seven-year-old playing soccer. I would just, <laughs> if someone had the ball, I would just run at them. And if I could slam into them, I felt like I was doing a good job. But like if I, if, if I was ever found myself in a strategic situation, I was like, I was like a sheep at one of those like little kid rodeos where they put a kid on the back of a sheep and just. That's what they should have done. They should have put one of the smarter players on your on, back. Uh, like a small little guy. Like a, yeah. like, like a little monkey on your shoulder. <laughs> just ride this guy in the right direction. Or you could add one of those cards on your wrists like quarterbacks have. <laughs> so that if something goes wrong, you can just like look at some of the plays and be like, I'm going to do that one. What I did was I always turned around and looked for the smart rugby players. And I was like, what do you know? And they're like, follow me. I'm not sure I believe there are smart rugby yeah, players. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a gentleman's game. Is that right? But the I thing thought it is, was just big, big, dumb Australian guys. Yeah, but Australians are just intrinsically smart. Really? Uh, yeah, because they're descended from wily criminals who had to like pick locks and stuff. Then where are all the particles and planets and whatnot discovered by Australians? Nobody's ever like... The thing is, they're on the Southern Hemisphere and they can't see planets from there. <laughs> right. Right? They're just... They're, they they're don't staring have a good in, view. They're staring into the void of space. But at the end of a rugby tournament, when the drinking tournament started, I was an invaluable member of the team because I could consume massive quantities of beer and not ever lose my competitive edge. And so when you stopped drinking, that was that a real gutting thing for your rugby career? Well, that was, the end, my, that was the end of my rugby career. Why'd you quit rugby, John? Oh, I had to. I had to. I quit My drinking. liver. But on the motorcycle group, like they needed me around the campfire. First of all, I could start a fire, which most of them are from New York or Europe. They don't know how to start a fire. All these guys from Williamsburg named <laughs> Stefan yeah. could not. Yeah. They're like, okay, we're here. And they, you know, they're setting up the camp. But And then also and, and plus got, they needed you to sing... Uh, Michael Rowe, The Boat Ashore. Yeah, I've got all the good st songs and stuff. You had a guitar on your back on the, on the bike, right? Uh, no, no, but I can, I can make an instrument out of anything. So we'd pull into the campfire. And, and you'd I'd, go wandering through the woods to find the exact right maple tree. I'd find some ferns. I'd find some moss. I'd string it together. Uh, those but are the we roads were, you... We were down there at the same time. Or, those, those are the roads you want to be on in the summer because those logging roads are the same ones where occasionally somebody will follow GPS up there in the winter and like literally die. We had, that's right, that famous story here in, in Oregon where a family went up there trying to find a, a, a shortcut to the coast. Because on the map, it just looks like a shortcut to the coast and there's yeah. not a lot of roads that go to the coast because of those mountains in the way. Right, and you get up there and it, this family got caught, caught in a snowstorm and dad ended up trying to go for help and it was a, a terrible tragedy. I think if he'd 
stayed, they would have been rescued. If, Maybe the people in the car got rescued, but he did stayed not. stayed with the car. I mean, I, they, I they, they had gone as far, I think, as taking the tires off to burn them for, for heat. But they could have, I think, just huddled it out. What happened to our fun vacation story? Well, you, like a smart person, didn't go off the coast, and I was on a motorcycle. The, so the week we came back, you left on your trip, and I was looking at your photos, and they were all places I had been. I was like, oh, that's that's Cape Kowanda. I had like never been there in my life until a week ago. I was there for a family reunion, because I don't have a bunch of German friends on enduro bikes. Uh, yeah. Yet. Uh-huh, I know, I know. I'll, in, I'll introduce you. It's aspirational. <laughs> Uh, and we had kind of decided on the Oregon coast. Mindy was really trying to get everybody to go to like, let's all go to like London or Paris. Are there some family members that are flying averse or a foreign country averse? I think, um, there was a father-in-law who realized he might have to pick up some, a lot of plane tickets in that case. Oh. And he became (laughs) buying 12, buying 12 transatlantic fares averse. Uh Um, So then it was like, how about the Oregon coast? And, you know, we tried to warn them, hey, Oregon in the summer, the weather's going to be uneven. You right. know, if you're picturing a sunny beach vacation, and this is exactly what happened. We were driving out there and it's a beautiful crystal clear day all over the West. And then you get three miles from the coast right. and suddenly there's like marine layer in front of you. And you're like, yeah. wait, what? Yeah. You're we, in Goonies town. We found the only, exactly. <laughs> we found the only place in the West where it's like bad weather and then it's just going to be gloomy Fratelli Brothers, Goonies weather. Right. I mean, it's the middle of August and it's cold there, cold and wet and... And, and it'll change, you know, suddenly one day it'll be perfect. beautiful and clear and blue skies and you can see gray whales heading up the coast and then the next day it will be, again, Goonies weather. But I, you know, I used to go to the Oregon coast as a kid and I didn't mind that, but we tried to warn everyone and I don't know if they really heard us. Right. Because the day we got to the house we had rented... Yeah, everybody's kind of like, uh... <laughs> it's like Cape Cod in November. Yeah, or uh, San Francisco in the summer. Yeah, right. Like San Francisco's very nice, but, you know, it's it comes in super foggy in the summer for some reason. I think it's all the dry air over Napa or high pressure over Napa or something. It keeps the fog over the city. You know, the corny old thing that my dad always said, which was that the coldest winter he ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. Was your dad Mark Twain? My dad found a way to say that every time San Francisco was mentioned in conversation, which when I started touring in in rock and roll, happened a lot. That's a pretty (laughs) famous quote, though. Like, that would be like somebody being like... Well, as I always say, <laughs> four score and seven years ago, like, yeah. well, every, we know that's not a joke you came up with, John's dad. Every December 7th, I find a way to say that's a day that will live in infamy. Like, do you think each successive oh, yeah. December 7th, not 1941? It still lives in infamy. Like, and it was a day that will live in infamy. Is it because of bad things that happen on that day every year or like the to you are worse than Pearl Harbor? Infamy is not transferable. If you have a day that lives in infamy, I, you know, you can assume that Roosevelt meant that particular December 7th, 1941. But, but you think it's... But I think it if you look at the If you look at the fine print. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is infamy is transferable well, as long as it's a long... Because the thing is, Kent, time is a flat circle. That's what I hear. So every December 7th is just a, a recapitulation of December 7th. Well, it's true that history repeats its old conceits. The glib replies, the same defeats. Um, is that Mark Twain? Close. Elvis Costello. Oh, yeah. Kind of, you know, he's kind of the Mark Twain of, of Northern England. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so we drove out to the Oregon coast over the summer. We'd rented a, a place that I'd never even heard of, a house in a place I'd never even heard of called Neskowin. Oh. 
but it was beautiful. It's um, it's kind of it's like due west of Salem. Maybe it's pretty far north. Yeah, Tillamooky. It's a little south of Tillamook, yeah. but not that far. Where you know where the ice cream is mined. Yep. Where they mine the, the butterscotch ice cream. People line up all day to get into that Tillamook factory. Have you been? Uh, I've driven past quite a few times, and I've looked at the line and that stretches out around the building. I, it's a thing you could do in winter, and I'm sure nobody's there. I've gone twice because there's wow. not a lot to do around that part of the Oregon <laughs> coast on a cloudy day. And it's it actually is pretty fun. I mean, it is kind of the kind of factory where you can see, I mean, no Oompa Loompas, yeah. but there are conveyor belts with things whizzing by and people doing things to them fast, like, like Lucy and Ethel. What's crazy is which, I, is, I, which is what I like in a factory. I eat their cheese. I eat their yogurt. I use their butter. Like, I thought you were going to say I use their bathroom. I use, I use the I, bathroom after the tour is over. I never go on the tour, but I do stop and use the bathroom. <laughs> uh, so I'm like, you know, I, I eat their stuff, but I am driving past. I think that I'm a little curious now that I know there are conveyor belts. I, now I really want to see it. Now you say you eat the yogurt and the cheese, but you only use the butter. I so use the butter. You don't actually eat it. Tell, tell me what are you using the butter for? I don't think Have you, you seen Last Tango in Paris? <laughs> I don't. I have. I don't think... I don't think that you eat butter as much as you use it. Because if you say, I eat their butter, it implies... <laughs> like it's an entree? Yeah, or that you're sitting with a spoon. Mm. And I did go through a phase where I would take a spoonful of butter and dip it in a bag of brown sugar, which is like the fastest way to get the cookie dough experience without putting a raw egg in it. You're missing several ingredients. Yeah, I know, but brown sugar and butter is really... It's pretty close to the whole cookie experience. You've it's boiled just, it down. That's like the, <laughs> the, the black tar or heroin or the crack yeah. cocaine of cookie dough. Everything else, like the, like the flour, just gives you that uncooked gravy feeling in your mouth. And then... Not, uh, a, not a salty gravy, though. A sweet gravy. No, a sweet gravy. And then uh, the egg just gives you the trichinosis. Uh, or not trichinosis. It gives you the... the salmonella. The emblemonitis. Tra, tridesc- emblemonitis. It gives you tridescophobia. Yeah, triscidecophobia. Triscidecophobia. Yeah, yeah. If you eat... 13 of them. It does. Uh, Well, if you eat 13 of them, you're rocky. The big line, (laughs) right, (laughs) or Cool Hand Luke. The big line at the Tillamook factory is at the end where you can buy ice cream. But they're just just scooping it out of supermarket things of ice cream. Oh, wait, I ate their ice cream too. I'm like probably 15% Tillamook. They need to advertise on the show. Like they just got like five minutes of free... But yeah, so people will just stand in line for half an hour to get ice cream scooped out of a supermarket carton of ice cream. You guys don't have to do this. No, go to the supermarket. It's right there. Like upstairs, you can get free cheese curd samples. And I understand waiting in that line. Cheese curd seems like a regionalism that shouldn't have made its way to Oregon. But I guess they're cheesemakers. What would you say the region of cheese curd is? The region of cheese curd is Is, absolutely that. Does it say that on the map? Yeah. It's It's like the the land of Dairy Queen? It's the North Midwest. So cheese Mm, curds are Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin, Iowa. You can get cheese curds there in every gas station. It is the squeakiest way to eat cheese. Oh, it's so squeaky. If you want some kind of cheese that goes. (laughs) (laughs) It is salty. But there are places like you're driving through Wisconsin. It's just like cheese curds, next exit. And every other exit. Yeah, right. (laughs) Every subsequent exit. The cool thing about this particular stretch of the Oregon coast is it's a place where, you know, Highway 101 just runs right along the beach for a lot of Oregon. Yeah, And there'll be like some rental houses to your right of you and rental houses to the left of you and kind of crappy gift shops. And then endless beach. Endless beach. 
and people driving on it because you can do that in you can Oregon. Drive on the beach. Uh, you can't gas up your own car, but if if you can arrange for someone else to, you can drive <laughs> on the beach in it. We, uh, we the motorcycle bros all went down and drove and rode on the beach, but at that point in the trip, I did not have the confidence on a motorcycle to risk whatever crazy spin out I was risking down on beach. Was sand. this early in the trip or late in the early trip? Early in the I trip, see. you hadn't yet. So I went up and twiddled around on some roads while they were down spinning out on the beach. Does it chafe if you're on a bike for a week? Are they comfy? They are. I'm just yeah. thinking about being on a bike for a couple hours. They are. Well, you know, I'm used to being in the saddle. It's true. Yeah. If you've got a cowboy's ass. That's right. <laughs> do you do? Mounted right here in this room, weirdly. I do. It's a, one of my first taxidermies. It doesn't I, really look like a cowboy's ass anymore because <laughs> I, I use the wrong kind of filler. Um, but this, uh, we were staying near Nesco and where Highway 101 curves away from the coast oh, because right. of some coastal, like mountains right on the... Yeah, headland. Headland, exactly. Which is beautiful because, you know, the last thing you want on a beach vacation is a big highway, a block from your driveway. Right. And here we kind of drove up into these fog shrouded mountains looking down over the beach. And there's this big, um, sea stack called Proposal Rock. Hmm. I guess some settler proposed there maybe maybe it's promposal rock maybe <laughs> maybe he did an elaborate promposal he, he just painted the rock and said like class of 62 will you go to prom <laughs> with me susan uh maybe they finally hit maybe in their storm-tossed ship they finally crossed the wine dark sea and crashed into this rock and when they walked out on the sand he was like will you marry me <laughs> we made it uh it's big enough that it has trees on it you can actually hike up a little trail to the top if you can if it's low tide, so it's not an island. But uh, as we walked out on the beach in this kind of gloomy day with Mindy's disappointed family, <laughs> who's like, you know, in ba bathing suits, where the sun at? Right. Uh, the beach, it's very low tide. We didn't know that, but we arrived at super low tide. And there are these large rows of what look like large black boulders lining the beach. Hmm. And we walked down to them and they're black because they're, well, they're covered in barnacles and mussels. And uh, in some cases, it sounds like me. Yeah, it was. And one of them stood up and was like, Ken, my friends left me. Have you seen Stefan? When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. They, uh, they were big enough that they had little indentations at the top that had become tide pools. Oh, cool. You know, with their Full of little crabs. Little hermit crabs and green sea anemones. So cool. And uh, starfish along the sides. So our, you know, our landlubber relatives 
loved this. Right. But they were like, what are these things? Why are there big black, what looks like basalt boulders in the middle of this sandy beach? Are they evenly spaced? Yeah, there's um, a few dozen of them. And they just kind of dot the sand. Yeah. Most of them are like kind of waist high, but a lot of them are taller. I think there were a few that were kind of more monolith-like, huh. like one of the Stonehenge stones had gotten left there. Or, as tall as a person or, the or monolith, taller? Monolith from 2001. Yeah, maybe as tall as a person. Huh. But most of them were shorter, so you could look down into the, into the little tide pools. And I said, yeah, I think they must just be black coastal volcanic rock. But we started poking at them and they were, they were kind of spongy. Hmm. And I said, well, it's sometimes when you see this, it's like the piling of an old pier. Mm -hmm. Cause you know, you'll see that on Washington beaches yeah, where the pier is not there anymore. But, but I looked around and they were, first of all, they were everywhere. And second of all, they were kind of running parallel to the beach. They were not running out to sea like you would expect if it was an old dock or pier of some kind. And how big around were they? Uh, you could not put your arms around them. They were quite large and often a little wider at the bottom and tapering at the top. And I felt like a doofus because everyone was, you know, everyone's sure, like. they're all looking at you because you're Ken Jennings. We're from landlocked states where. Um, there aren't these. You know, yeah. Like, None of this. Where no one, you do not want to go for sushi. <laughs> the Great Salt Lake never had any trees around it, I'm guessing, right? Are there trees around Great Salt Lake? There's one tree. <laughs> <laughs> they decorated in, at Christmas. <laughs> uh, so, so I'm supposed to be the pro here and I have no idea what this is. So I get out my phone and I start looking and I realize we're looking at one of the great attractions for at least the last 20 years of the central Oregon coast, which is the Neskowin Ghost Forest. Ooh, we're haunted by spooky trees. <laughs> These are trees that died with unfinished business. They yes. were, they were murdered. Right. And now they've come back. They kind of were murdered. It turns out these, these were, um, they're Sitka spruce. So they they were huge. They right. were 150, 200 feet tall. They're taller than the statue of Liberty, uh, minus pedestal. And they were there 2000 years ago, but they were not there weirdly 50 years ago. It's a paradox. What? Um, they had been buried in sand for Un millennia. Under the ocean, under the sand. Right. Uh, which explains why they're in pretty good shape. But around, I guess, now, 1998, the winter of 1998, 1999, a series of storms battered the Oregon coast, enough to permanently erode and reshape this particular beach. You were here during those storms, weren't you? That was a very, very stormy winter. I was not. I was still at college, but I remember hearing about it. Yeah, the West Coast was lashed. In fact, the storms were so intense that a lot of the storm monitoring equipment that was kind of up on towers or on rooftops, the storm monitoring equipment like hit maximum, set the record for wind speed, and then were blown off. And so a lot of the record uh, wind speeds on the coast are not established. They're all the same. It's all exactly. <laughs> it, hit, it hit 200 miles an hour and then. stopped weird. And then all the equipment was blown That's away. That's not great storm monitoring stuff if it will yeah. literally blow away in a storm. Yeah, you need, I think they might have hardened that gear. And it was a series of them, I think. Yeah, like I think, that's right. I think they just came and went for weeks or in the middle of winter. And uh, Seattle is protected by the, sure. by being fairly far inland, but. We've got the Olympic Peninsula to take the hit for us. Yeah. But not on this beach where enough sand washed away that these tree stumps 
which had been underwater and under sand for 2,000 years. You know, these trees are the age of Julius Caesar or, or Jesus or whoever your favorite celebrity from 2,000 years ago was. Marcus uh, Aurelius. Mark Twain. No, no, that was later. Mark Twain. Mark Twain. <laughs> the cold, these trees are as old as... The coldest <laughs> winter I ever spent was summer in Rome. <laughs> and there are other ghost forests like this along the Pacific coast. And, and by the way, 2,000 years is not the oldest a tree can get. I mean, there are living sequoias that are 3,200 years old and those bristlecone, bristlecone pines, pines right. yeah, in the, in the California mountains that are 5,000 years old. Are they really? And they're still doing fine. Yeah. They're, they're as old as Stonehenge and I guess almost as old as the pyramids. You're getting close to pyramid age at 5,000. No one knows who they were or what they were doing. <laughs> well, no one knows where these trees are. Did you know that park rangers will try to keep the- Keep people away. Keep the trees a secret. So there, there is a named tree called Methuselah, right. which is the oldest bristlecone pine. And there is a named coast redwood called Hyperion, which I is know. the tallest- Oh, I know, oh, Ken. Oh, believe me, Hyperion. Oh, oh. You're, you're not telling me the news, well, Ken. The, the thing is, Ken, I go out looking for Hyperion all the time, but it's uh, they've secreted it away in a, in a gully somewhere. They move it around, yeah. like the, those planes that are always in the air in case of the missiles. Well, you go and you say, like, uh, can I see Hyperion? And they misdirect you. They're like, sure, just go down to the end of this road and take a right. And then there's some other guy there who's like, nah, uh, you turned the wrong oh, way, sonny. you went a little far. Uh, they do that because of soil compacting. I guess when, especially in the, I mean, in the desert, you can see why they're worried about it with Methuselah. But with Hyperion, you know, you'd be like, well, it's on the rainy coast. Are they really worried about, because when soil gets compacted, there's less water near the roots. You know, you're every person walking by is stamping out water. Right. Water runs away from the roots. But these trees are so tall that it really actually will start to dry out the tip of the tree. This has happened to big, you know, General Sherman, all these big sequoias that somebody put on a, a park map or drilled a hole in so a car could go through right. <laughs> or whatever. Well, that'll do a job on you. <laughs> yeah, that tree's not doing so hot, I bet. And I really feel bad when I, I felt awful when I heard about this because of what it means is even if I'm not trying to hurt Hyperion, even right. if I'm a very respectful visitor love Hyperion. to Hyperion, yeah, if I love it passionately, just by walking near it, I am just by virtue of being a person I'm one of these aphids that's chewing his way through Mother Earth with no ill intent, just by being a person. I'm, I'm the problem. I was talking to someone the other day who is like a staunch environmentalist who advanced a theory I hadn't heard before, which was they were such an environmentalist and animal lover that they cheered on the demise of humankind. And I said, it's really an interesting love of the planet that would, that would hope that we, the sentient ones, would die in order that Earth survive. Like without exception? Like this dude reads in the paper that, um, you know, Mary Tyler Moore died. And he's like, yes, <laughs> yes, that's one more. We're one closer. Uh, she, actually, she Jeez, was sorry. hoping, uh, yeah, that maybe we would first return to a pre-industrial society as a result of an omnibus-like apocalypse where Western countries or, or rather industrial countries would be well, subsumed beneath our own pollution. We'd blow each other up somehow. Yeah. And then, then there would only be sort of the, all that would remain is stone age societies, but that somehow we would never regain the technology to burn coal. The problem is that if something happens, it'll, the people who survive will be like 
uber rich Elon Musk types right. who, who arranged for bunkers and space stations. Right, they're down in in New Zealand in a in a seven thousand square foot bunker. So it'll be the very worst people, yeah. who survive the apocalypse. All the people that could, all the tribesmen who could run a reasonable hunter gatherer culture in the rainforest will be the first to go. Well, listen, <clears throat> listen, you're insulting the futurelings right now. You do this all the time <laughs> where the futurelings are listening to the show going, okay, No, you guys are lot. great. Good thanks job. Good job starting Tesla. Yeah, well done saving the planet or saving your corner of the planet. They are not the survivors. You know, these are a, a secondary people who came later. These are, yeah, um, right. you know, trees that got m- mineralized with salt and rock sitting at the edge of the ocean. There are ghost forests that um, where the the crystalline lattice of the of the petrified trees Took became on. became complex enough to gain sentience. Right. Although it's hard to see what the evolutionary purpose of that would be. <laughs> like we all learned to think so we could like catch food better or whatever. Yeah. Well, they're sentinels. You know, they're watching for whatever the invading Japanese navy. And what's the evolutionary advantage of uh, of being a self aware uh, ghost tree? Well, because you know the trees all communicate through psionics. So the tree, the, they the, can warn the, yeah, the trees up on the, the headland trees are talking to the coast. They don't trees. need those. You are now leaving a tsunami zone signs right. that you always see on the Pacific coast. Yeah. Well, you know, the oldest, well, I wanted to say also just here in Seattle in Seward Park, which is the place in Seattle where the oldest trees, like, there are some old growth trees there. It's an interesting story. They were never, uh, lumbered, timbered. Right. What's, the, what's the verb? Logged. Logged. <laughs> <laughs> they were never timbered. I was never lumbered uh, because it was, Seward Park was an island yeah. until they lowered the lake. Right. When they cut the, the well, Motley Cut. We can talk about lowering the lake in a future episode. But yeah, so there are trees there and they used to have little signs that said like the tallest tree in Seward Park, the oldest tree in Seward Park, and they've taken all the signs down. For this same reason, people would go up and trample the ground. It's also an aesthetic choice to give more of an air of mystery. An air of mystery. We could be talking to actual ghosts. Ghost trees. (laughs) I don't even know. It doesn't matter what they are. They could be ghost humans, ghost beagles. Right. But somehow they have uh, continued to haunt the decimated future Earth. Right. And and they have found our time capsule. They figured out how to listen to... Podcast. So we need to have some kind of, you know, however we bury this, we need to have some kind of way they can be n- manipulated without corporeal, like ghosts can lower temperature, right? So we right. just have to have cold activated time capsules in case they're discovered by ghosts. I was thinking one way we could do this is put the entirety of Omnibus on a loop so that it never stopped playing. Just blare it? And, and it's in a cave. And so it plays throughout the millennia based on a perpetual motion machine that we're going to create. I've seen this Twilight Zone. So the futurelings think it's some kind of uh, elder god that lives in the cave. Right. And then they go in there and it's just a computer with tape rolls. It's, right. You it's, and I are the elder god. It's just a, an ad for Nabisco over and over. But this plays and there, and so ghosts, future ghosts won't need to have corporeal form to like push buttons, turn on, listen to podcasts. They'll just go into the cave. Because it's a bummer about being a ghost is you just have to watch whatever in the house, like people in the house are watching. Right. Like you could be like, no, don't change it away from, and no. they're, they're just like, hey, Big Bang Theory's <laughs> on. And then it ends and they're like, oh, there, there's another Big Bang Theory at 6.30. No. And you're just like, oh, the game is on. You're there, you're Patrick Swayze. You're like, come on, <laughs> kiss her, kiss her. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, if I was Patrick Swayze, really I would spend the most of my time 
trying to get somebody to change the channel probably. Yeah. Instead of being like uh, Bruce Willis and screwing around with some poor kid, <laughs> trying well, to make friends with some poor Well, if you kid. could find some haunted kid, I would probably do that too. Because if you could find the haunted kid, he could change the channel for you. Right. Hey, haunted kid, change the channel. <laughs> and they'd be like, haunted kid, why are you only watching shows that, from 20 years ago when Bruce Willis died? And he'll be like, I don't know. I just like the old stuff. Just trying to, just trying to appease my friend. If you trained the people in the house well, they could, they would see the penny start to float uh, yeah. up the door yeah. and they'd be like, oh, he wants me to change the yeah. channel. Yeah. And then the penny goes down and he's like, oh, you want channel five? Oh, you like Big the, Bang The penny goes now. down again. Oh, you want channel four? <laughs> So you could work out a system, I'm sure. Sure, if there were only like five channels <laughs> on your TV. Well, I'm very old. Like I, I did have five channels on how would, my TV. How, how would he have to raise that penny to be like, let's go to channel 224 and watch ESPN Badminton? <laughs> yeah, it really doesn't work if you have a, a huge cable plan. Yeah, uh, you could do you could do it with binary, I guess. Uh huh. Have you ever yes, heard no, of this? No, yes, have you yes, heard of this no. thought experiment where you could encode? Um, you can really encode any message onto a single stick. Like if you hmm. take the words. John Roderick, and you turn it into numbers, you know, J is 10, O is 15, D is 4, E is 5, R is 18, 19, whatever it is. This is one of your weird Jeopardy tricks that everybody's going, what? You know the position of every letter in the alphabet numerically? Are you saying you don't know the numeric <laughs> position of every letter? Like there's only 26. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Here's how you there's do it. There's only 26. You learn the fives. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. okay. E, J, O, you know, 5, 10, 15, and then you can kind of triangulate very quickly from there. Here's how you do this purposeless thing. This is stupid, <laughs> stupid thing. It actually comes up more often than you think. So you would encode your name. It so has never come up. <laughs> So it's one zero. Did I up? One zero one five. Uh, I think I skipped to Roderick for some reason. Yeah. Uh, you know, eight o o eight for H. Uh, one four for you know, and then so you you take this number yeah. and you divide it in half and make it a fraction. So you know, your name might be one billion fifteen million eight hundred fourteen thousand something 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 over some other long number, and then you just <sighs> carve. Why are you not fascinated by this plan? Okay, I'm going with it. And then you just carve a single notch in a long wooden stick that fraction of the way along the stick. And with one swipe of your knife, you have encoded a fairly long text message in a stick. All somebody has to do is just measure that stick and see what fraction along the stick your, your notch is. I'm assuming this is done in metric. It doesn't, for the purposes of the story, that's not terribly important. Well, but I mean, the person that is, that decoding it is going to have to know the measurement format. Sure. It's not intuitively obvious. You wouldn't just be walking in Seward Park, see a stick with a line in it and be like, I've got to get this to my lab. Where are my calipers? <laughs> get my calipers out. <laughs> the problem is you can't encode very long messages this way because you very quickly you get smaller than the size of an atom. Right. Much less the ability to wield a, a, a pen knife accurately. Right, right, right. Because the pen knife itself would create a, a notch yeah. far greater in width than you could. If you're trying to put the Bible in a stick, then the width of your pen knife is Song of Solomon. Right. So a lot of room for error there. Song of Solomon. You like referencing that book of the Bible. You feel like that's the sexy one, don't you? Yes. You read that late at night under the covers. With my flashlight <laughs> on. Ken, what are you doing in there? No, nothing. nothing. Reading the Bible. <laughs> The, uh, at, when the scientists first discovered the ghost forests, specifically the one at Nesquinen, but also, um, also others further north, they assumed that they had been buried, you know, they had died off gradually and then been buried by... As part of a, a slow rising of the sea level? Sure. Sea level rises or the land lowers. That's something we always forget about rising. Right. 
sea levels. You know, there are places on Earth today where sea levels are still dropping just because uh, in the Baltic, for example, sea levels are actually dropping. And it's not because sea levels aren't rising. They're rising everywhere. But the land is rising faster than the ocean still. Um, so I guess what I'm saying, Futurelings, is that's where the dry land is in Waterworld. Uh -huh. go, go, go to Finland. Uh -huh. um, They're probably living on the shores of the great inland sea of the Missouri Basin. I would hope so. Right. But when geologists looked closer at this particular ghost forest in Nesquin, what they found was quite a bit of like litter in the soil, the kind of stuff that would have been washed away by, not litter like um, Cracker Jack boxes, right. but just, you know, junk. Yeah. Stuff that would have been washed away by a gradual process. And it's all there in situ as if frozen in time, like a, like a velociraptor skeleton. So leaves and moss and stuff that would have, that would have long died is still Im embedded. Yeah. It, wow. So all this happened at once. And so we now know what happens with these ghost forests is, uh, first of all, the waves kind of cut a platform. Like you'll see this at the base of a, a base of a cliff. Mm -hmm. There will be a big flat sandy expanse. Mm -hmm. And that's just the, what happens. That's just a natural erosive process. When waves continue to hit essentially a horizontal wall, they will carve out a flat platform right in front of it. Right. Um, then there's some kind of tectonic uplift that pushes that ground up. Plants start to grow. Eventually trees grow. And then something terrible happens. A tsunami or an, I always say the T in tsunami, and I think it's still try hard. Tsunami. I do say the T in try hard as tsunami. well. It's not rye hard. I feel like do you say tsunami? the tsunami? Well, it's not an English word, so we would have to really translate. We'd have to get it in a Japanese accent, and I don't think either of us should try that. I feel like people were giving me a hard time for saying as the ma. Well, with the, with the th rightfully so, but as the as the ma. You don't have to try so hard. Look. <laughs> Asthma. It's Asthma. so smooth. That is, it is smooth. It's smooth. <laughs> I took the TH from smooth and I moved it to the middle of asthma. <laughs> you ripped it off your letter sweater. <laughs> Taking the letter H from his varsity sweater. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. Uh, so some kind of tsunami or earthquake um, overnight, 2,000 years ago, and we don't know when, because obviously this predates any kind of written history or even oral history from the tribes in the area. So there's a lot of, uh, this region of the Northwest has, we've discovered, is a, a plate border. Um, and we didn't know this, The Pacific right? plate is being time. subsumed beneath the Northwest plate. It was as, <laughs> as we will now call them, because <laughs> that's easier than looking it up. Yeah. Uh, like as recently as the late 80s, yeah. I think, that, you know, people discovered this, uh, a similar ghost force, except these are red cedar, which I think survive better. These kind of silvery, creepy looking Tolkien trees in a salt marsh near 
Copalis? Am yeah. I saying that right? Yeah. Copalis? It's like kind of north of... Uh, Copalis? Is it Copalis? Francis Ford Copalis? <laughs> it's north of... Uh, what's that place called where you and I a hung zoetrope. out that time? Yeah, old Zoetrope, <laughs> Washington. <laughs> That's like... A, You're well, talking about Long Beach. Yes, Long yeah. Beach. It's not. I think it's not that far from Long Beach. And when somebody actually looked at these trees enough to count the rings, it turned out they had all died exactly the same time. The last ring in all of them is summer 1699. Right, which was a, a recorded in history as a big earthquake in Japan, right? Or was there a tsunami that reached Japan? So it, it both things are recorded. You know, all we can see, trees only grow in the summer. So we can't pin the tsunami down any time, any more closely than it was between summer 1699 and summer 1700. But there were still tribes in the area that had very specific recollections, like this many generations ago, 22 generations ago or whatever. It wouldn't have been that many, but yeah. You're right. 20 times 1700. 1700. Five, 15 generations ago, maybe. I mean, I can, I actually can count back in generations to my great, 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 what is it? Six great greats. But all of your ancestors reproduced at age 80. We did reproduce late, but I think it's only six or seven great greats all the way back to the Revolutionary War. Isn't a generation like 25 years or something? So oh, well, I don't four know. Four per century? Anyway, yeah. I don't, you and I don't, we don't know how the Indians of, the natives of Americans of British Columbia reckon generations. No, that's true. But anyway, they had some number. And so, and in some of these Indian tribes, they would actually have an ancestral memory of, uh, it happened um, late at night, only the chief was awake huh. on a winter's night. So that helped us narrow it down to a specific season. And we see this tribal memory actually still affect people during the big um, South Pacific tsunami there were a lot of people sort of in the Philippine Islands or down in Indonesia that when the tide went out, when they watched the tide go out from the beach, they had a tribal memory that that was a sign that you needed to head to high ground. How long ago was the last? Big tsunami like that? I mean, out, outside of historical That's hilarious memory. to me. So something happens that hasn't happened for a thousand years and these guys are like, not again. Well, and, and the thing is that when they, when, um, sort of rescuers went to these remote islands expecting to see total devastation. They found that everyone had survived because unlike tourists uh, on the beach there in Phuket yeah. who were like, whoa, the tide went out. Let's run Sweet. down on the beach. And then the whole tribe was like, whoop, this is a sign. And it was just, it was encoded in their stories. And they that, all ran up. That's how evolution takes care of weirdo sex tourists. Like, <laughs> if you're going to Thailand every winter, you deserve what you get. That's right. If you're from the, the Netherlands, you should, know, you should know enough about the ocean that's true. to get the heck out of here. And uh, in fact, we can tie it down to an actual date. Not, you know, this is not the 2,000-year-old earthquake that caused the Nesquim Ghost Forest, but the Kapalas Ghost Forest, which was uh, born in 1700. I think we know the exact date because, as you said, of what happened 5,000 miles to the west in Japan, where they kept very good records of tsunamis. Right. And they, 12 hours after the, this huge earthquake, you know, 622 miles of the Pacific coast moved 70 feet. Like the slippage was 70 feet. Wow. In 1700. Um, and 12 miles later, Japan got a big old tsunami. 12 hours wave. later. Yeah. 12 hours later, is that right? Yeah, 12 hours, I think. Well, you know, I, I actually have a map somewhere that shows how far tsunami waves travel per hour. Um, 
Does it depend on how viscous the ocean is? I, I don't think the viscosity of the ocean is, is enough it of a factor. Vary. Enough of a factor. What, that, if, what if back then the oceans were a lot more like marmalade? Yeah, they were kind of just like sludgy. I think it, I think the opposite is probably true. Would the wave go faster or slower? Slower, for slower, sure. Slower, yeah. The sad postscript of Ghost Forest is that uh, for us, this is a novelty, but if we're speaking to a future audience, they may be commonplace. Even in our time, ghost forests are advancing very rapidly, not so much in the Northwest, but in the mid-Atlantic. Hmm. Um, that's a, as sea levels rise, uh, the mid-Atlantic region of the United States happens to be part of a tectonic plate that is sinking concurrently. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of areas that did never used to get tidal seawater rushing in are now effectively becoming salt marshes and whole groves and stands and forests of trees near the Atlantic coast are starting to die off. And, and, but they know, are slowly dying. Trees will, yeah, this is not a, an overnight uh, subduction zone event. And trees can survive for a while in salt water uh, as it comes and goes. But as the tides gradually rise, these forests days are all numbered. It's not that the salt kills them. It's just that having their roots submerged is, is what chokes them off. I think it's both, hmm. but... I think the salt is very harmful to yeah, them. Like it, like it can't keep its chemistry if suddenly all its water has a totally different ion mix than it's used to. Like you can kill a tree in your yard just by repeatedly putting salt around the roots of it. Oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. It would have an ionic difference. It would change the tree somehow. Right. But um, yeah, there are, like I think it, right now it's the most obvious indicator of climate change in our time, huh. at, at least in this country is the, uh, just the advance of, of salt marshes killing what were forests on the East Coast. So that's cheery. That is. That's nice. I'm, you know, I'm always cheered by the, like, exciting new ways that climate change is, is murdering things. And this seems like a yeah, beautiful one. It doesn't have one MO. <laughs> climate change is not like the crazy guy who's always, well, he stitched the letters uh, RSVP in the back of his victim again. <laughs> Like <laughs> right. climate change has a, like a new MO every time it kills somebody. You know, the oldest ghost forests are the, are the petrified forests and those forests date to the Triassic period. So some of those petrified forests in the Southwest are 200 million years old. Wow. Yeah. I feel a little less impressed by my Julius Caesar era ghost forests I saw on my vacation. Thanks, John. Yeah. Well, next time your family is looking for somewhere to go to have their big reunion and they're looking for sun, take them down to Arizona. The weather will be nicer. And that concludes. Dramatic pause. Right. And that concludes ghost forests. I find that hard to say. You ghost kind of, ghost you forests. You kind of said ghosts forests. I did. Ghosts Forest. Ghosts apostrophe forest. The ghosts own the forest. That concludes Ghost Forests. Entry 527.ez1724. Certificate number 1751 in the omnibus. Futurelings, I never have the notes for my outro ready at this stage. I think they know this. And I always have to open them. I'm always surprised by the end of the show arriving and I'm like, oh, that's right. I have things to do. I have to give an outro and then I have to click on my machine and then wait for it to figure out its computerness. Well, this is not live. You didn't have to do all this. Uh, 
We, well, could, we could have cut this out while you explained how your file's not coming up. Well, that's the thing. Corinthian usually cuts out all this uh, balderdash while I wait for the file to all, come up. All this up. hornwash? But I just figured, <laughs> all this horse feathers, but I just figured it's finally time to out myself as someone who, well, how many of the episodes have we done? We've done now... Over a hundred. Over a hundred, and I never have this ready. Uh, can't you do the first part just on your own? You're just saying a bunch of email addresses and social media handles. Yeah, you would think. I don't know why I need the crutch. I, it's not like we stick to this script. The second one I always look up. Yeah, I do too. Because sometimes we read the second one just all the way through. But in the first one, we start in the unlikely event yes. that social media still exists in your era. You need to have one of those quarterback things on your wrist. I do. But instead of a bunch of pass plays, it has to say, in the unlikely event <laughs> the that unlikely social media event. still exists. <laughs> or just go to bed with a tape playing over and over in the unlikely event that social media still exists so you just can't not hear it. When I'm when I learn a cover song, a lot of times I'm asked to play like a cover song as part of a memorial. Yeah, I want you to tell me about that. Job. How hard is it to just learn somebody's song <clears throat> from scratch? It's super hard for me. A lot of musicians don't find it difficult because they're much better versed in the great American songbook. But for me, it's super hard to remember someone else's lyrics in particular. And usually what I do is I learn them, I memorize them enough that I can then write down the first word of each line of the song on my hand. And so my hand will just be like, baby, and then the next one, you know, sort of like, yes, I did, or whatever. I'll write the little cue. Well, that's what you get for agreeing to do a cover of We Didn't Start the Fire <laughs> at a Billy Joel tribute. <laughs> Wait, is it Harry Truman Doris Day or is it? Yeah, it's uh, Lester Bang's uh, <laughs> birthday cup, party cheesecake, jelly, jelly bean, bean boom. boom. So I, and then as I'm playing, I'll kind of, I'll refer to my hand. Why couldn't you just have, I've seen musicians do live shows where they've clearly got lyrics either at their feet or on a music stand. That also happens. Unfortunately, my eyesight isn't what it once was. So I either have to write the lyrics kind of big if I'm going to have them on the floor at my feet. But I see a lot of these shows now where they're just music stands and people are just reading the lyrics right off of a music stand. And these I, kids. I do feel like it's cheap, but I also have resorted to it. What if you hired me as like a rock and roll cue card guy mm -hmm. where I'm kind of kneeling on one knee in front of you mm -hmm. with these massive signs that are like, history repeats its old conceits. And then I put it down and the <laughs> next one says, the glib replies, the same defeats. If you look at photos of the Rolling Stones or Neil Young or R.E.M. or whatever, you know, big, big bands that have big catalogs, they have teleprompters at the foot of the stage where the lyrics are constantly running. Jeez. And the lead singers, I don't think, refer to them that often, but rather than be out there trying to remember the lyrics to, to sway or whatever and forgetting the second verse, they're there always, and the singer knows that they can refer to the teleprompter. Maybe it's just... Uh... Yeah, maybe it just helps you be more of a performer if you can, if you know you can focus on other stuff. Right, jumping around. But that means that the Rolling Stones or REM has a teleprompter operator somewhere under the stage listening to the show and moving the lyrics forward. Do they do the banter as well? <laughs> how you like it? Like it says, "How you doing out there?" on the teleprompter. I've definitely done tours with big bands where the singer says the same banter every night at the same place in the show, and has it scripted so it sounds like they're just thinking it up. Hey, what's up, Cleveland? You know, 
anybody want to see our guitar player do some crazy act? And it's the same every single night. I don't hold that against them. I do. Well, of course you do. You had to see it every night. Yeah. But for every one of you, there's tens of thousands of people who only saw it once. Why not hone it, right? Yeah, but I think improvisation should be a part of live shows, but a lot of people don't. A lot of fans want to hear the music done exactly right. When I saw McCartney, it was very clear that he was telling the same stories every night after the same songs with the exact same kind of studied jokes. And and I think he's decided that's what I, I want to make sure... Nobody risks having a a story told wrong. A, a subpar yeah, McCartney show. one subpar break or whatever. But that is the kind of thing that makes McCartney corny. John Lennon would not do that. It would be very hard for him to do it now. Well, I don't know. We This show may be being presently enjoyed by the ghost of John Lennon. By hologram John Lennon. Uh, you beat your wife. Oh. <laughs> now he's Boom. not going to listen anymore. Yeah, Mary Pang uh, <laughs> has some, the ghost of Mary Pang has some awful stories to tell about your lost weekend. Uh, anyway, uh, future John Lennon and future Mary uh, Pang. It's actually uh, May Pang. Oh, sorry, May Pang. That's okay. Well, I always thought of her as a Mary. <laughs> May. I guess May is kind of a sweeter name. May Pang, rock stars. Uh, if, the, if their wives are okay with it. If you want to read... This kind of super funny improvisational banter on Ken's Twitter page. I highly recommend you go there, at Ken Jennings. He's constantly up to the moment, ripped from the headlines humor. Just hilarious fractured takes on the on the day's events and current events. That's right. Uh, you can go to my Twitter feed, which I do not really participate that <laughs> actively in. You're not really selling it there. But there is some fun stuff there, particularly if you want to scroll back. But also, I do... <laughs> I do Go to Ken's present Twitter. and <laughs> I mean, if people are in the future, they don't know. They don't know. It's all past Twitter to them. Sure. I'm at John Roderick. I, you know what? Just go follow me to bolster my numbers so that I get better service at Delta Airlines customer service. But if you do that, make sure you follow me as well so I maintain my lead. Ugh, his lead. He has a, he has a, uh, a well and, and dutiful... Mm, uh, <laughs> Ken, Ken has a, a, a studied lead. In, at, at, uh, at, at, at. <laughs> Ken has a lot more Twitter followers than I do. A lot more. It's really embarrassing. They're but, all they're all bots though. And but ghosts. he was famous on TV, and I wasn't. They're all bots and ghosts. Bots and ghosts. If you're a bot and ghost, come over and follow me. I'm some, a lot of fun. Some of them are, are ghost bots. They've been unplugged, but they're still just uh, still uh, out there. They're still like make America great again. Retweet, retweet, auto retweet. But I do have fun on Instagram at John Roderick. Ken is only there as a lurker. Uh, you can email us, which is super fun, at omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. Uh, our Futurelings page on Facebook is really uh, like a lovely, lovely, lovely community of very smart, funny people having a wonderful time with one another. To sign up, you'll have to say what kind of Futureling you are. And I saw someone yesterday who said uh, a John Rod- a fan of John Roderick only or something. Wow. And I was like, wow. Boo. So I did not. Uh, no, you didn't let them <laughs> join the page, right? No, I did. Uh, there's no right answer, but you do need to answer the questions. Uh, unfortunately, if you don't answer the questions to join the Futurelings page, somebody in the chain of command will just delete your application. It's pretty harsh. That is harsh. Like we don't even send a letter saying... Uh, we have considered your uh, application. It does not meet our present needs. Yeah, it's just like, too, sorry, too bad. And, and we just heard recently that if you're trying to join the Facebook page Futurelings from an Android device. If you have Facebook Lite. It may not show the questions. 
And for that, we're sorry. So go back on your laptop and try again. Also, you can send us mail at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. And I thought about this the other day. I keep asking for tailored clothes, but they can't tailor clothes to me at a distance. What I do want is your dad's old Ray-Ban sunglasses. (laughs) So if you have Ray-Ban sunglasses just lying around in a drawer, send them to me at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. And, and, you know, bulk up my collection because I do have quite a few of them. Couldn't you just like go on eBay? Yeah, I do that too all the time. But this is like direct. This is free. Com- this is direct communication with people uh, <laughs> who might have like sunglasses piling up around them. And Couldn't people tailor your clothes if you just gave your measurements on the show? Yeah, but I don't really want to do that. Is that too personal? A little it? bit. I mean, I don't want to, you know, like I dress right. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to give them everything. <laughs> you just you just did. Well, that, that one they can guess 50-50, I think. Sure. Um, you could encode it in a single pen knife notch on a stick. I could. People could write in and request the stick. They could decode from the stick your uh, suit measurements. But I, the, the uh, system of measurement I use is going to be atomic. <laughs> what you should do is you should send some kind of replica of your body life-size to people who send in a self-addressed envelope. Like some kind of a, a, an inflatable doll they could inflate mm. or... Um, I'll just scan myself like uh, like at the airport, a scatter scan. Or one of those spongy dinosaurs you put in water. Like you send somebody a miniature John and they put it in water and it grows to full size so they can try clothes on it. I feel like this is some sort of fanfic. Yeah, send me a sponge, John. <laughs> I'll measure it. Listeners from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. The, the Sitka spruce forest in Nesco and Oregon thought everything was going great until the day it wasn't. It sure did. We hope and pray that the catastrophe that we fear may never come. But if it comes soon, if the tsunami wave of, of blood and marmalade comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for yet another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.